Hello everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot, a film and television podcast in which we talk about a theme which changes from episode to episode. My name's Edwin Davis and joining me this week through the miracle of satellite technology, it's Emily Benita. Hi Emily, how's it going? It's going well, thank you Ed. Um, double vaccinated and still masked. Hey. <laughs> thank you. Still masked up. I went to uh, other places than where I've been for the past 18 Ooh. months and I think it was okay. I did a lateral flow test and negative and I'm going to keep doing that every day because we're still not out of this thing but it was really good to see people and I think I'm sort of gently expanding my comfort zones in terms of being around more people like mm-hmm. my brain just sort of flips and does this weird thing of like oh well this is familiar but also incredibly alien so there's that. Mm. Um, but I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, I'm I'm okay. Uh, I've had a busy week at work. Um, but prior to that, I don't think we talked about this last week because I got so distracted talking about Space Jam. Understandably. Um, I mean, you, you need to get a lot out. Last, not this past Friday, but the Friday before, uh, I also went out and saw people for the first time during the pandemic. Well, the first kind of like significant thing when a bunch of people from my work all met up to go bowling, which... Uh, was fantastic a really really fun night uh, it was for someone's leaving to someone who's who's just left to go and take a role at a different company and i had a great time uh i hadn't bowled in about nine years <laughs> so i wasn't sure how that was gonna go but i managed to get the first strike of the night which was more than i could have uh, hoped for and then also just over the course of the four frames that the four games that we played I got like, I came second in a couple of them, which I was quite pleased with. And I came last in a couple of them, but they were all fairly close games. So like, I kind of felt like that came off quite nicely and about as well as I could have expected again, as someone who hadn't bowled in about eight or nine years. And yeah, it was just super fun uh, seeing people again. Like I'd seen none of those, uh, none of those people from my work in person on anything other than a Zoom call in about 18 months. And it was cool seeing people. It was weird just trying to think about what to talk about. We've not seen each other, but we have seen each other during this time. So it's like we're all kind of aware of what's going on with each other. Uh, and yeah, so that was kind of uh, a strange thing. But yeah, it was, it was super nice. And I only felt a little bit massively anxious about being in an enclosed place, a place with a bunch of people, but um, like no one has gotten sick as a result of doing it as far as, as I know. So that's good. And I think everyone's vaccinated at this point. So yeah. So yes, yeah, so that was quite nice. It, it, but then like the next day, I also kind of felt like just really kind of deflated for the whole day because there was that real sense of like, Oh man, that was really fun. Oh, right didn't get to do anything like that really for most of the last year uh uh should probably try and do more of that sort of thing going forward so we'll go on to the news for this week and uh there was a i think this whole episode really is going to be a discussion of news because there were a couple of 
fairly big stories this week that I think we wanted to kind of like delve a little deeper into, particularly one that I think has potentially like very uh, significant long-term impacts for the for Hollywood. Um, and we'll get to that one in a moment. But we'll start off with the release for the trailer for House of Gucci, the new film from Ridley Scott, the second or maybe the first of two films that he has coming out this year. I'm not sure which one comes out first, but he's got that in The Last Jewel, where uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck play medieval French knights, which is just a very funny thing <laughs> to think about because yeah, I can't help but think of that tweet. I can't remember who it was who said it, but uh, the, the, the tweet where they basically said you can never buy Ben Affleck in a period movie because his face looks like it's seen a phone. Um, <laughs> And that's really on display in the last Jewel uh, trailer. But we're not talking about the last Jewel. We're talking about the House of Gucci, which is about the Gucci kind of like, you know, huge fashion label. And, you know, it's a period movie set in the 80s, I believe. Uh, and all about uh, the character played by Lady Gaga, who, you know, kind of marries into the Gucci family and then essentially hires uh, people to kind of bump off other members of the family. And... It looks like a lot of fun. I am not the biggest Ridley Scott fan. Like, I think he, he's made some some great movies, but I've never kind of had the reverence for him that I think a lot of people do. But I really enjoy how heightened the tone in this trailer is, and I don't know if they'll necessarily be able to keep up for their whole movie, but at least based on the trailer, there's, the, there's a kind of like a campiness to it that I think really suits... Gaga's persona and just also you know the kind of like the high fashion milieu so like I on first blush am am quite excited to see how that movie turns out this is the role she was born to play and mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if she and the internet's favorite centaur himself Adam Driver mm-hmm. end up getting nommed and walking away with Best Actor and Best Actress. I would not be surprised in the slightest. And I think it's hard to say, you know, obviously because it's going to be very, very dark humour, but there's something about seeing an almost kind hearts and coronets, but through Gucci. And I Mm. think it's difficult because obviously it is real people that we're dealing with here, but I don't get the sense that there's anything tasteless about it. If anything, it's just look at these absolutely larger-than-life characters. And I had to triple-check that it was Ridley Scott directing it because I was like, is this not Ryan Murphy? In his <laughs> really <laughs> prolific <laughs> churning them out, now that Pose is finished, he's like, oh, I've only got 70 projects on the go, I need another one. And I just think you couldn't have a better cast. And I just have the, the gif <laughs> of... Uh, Lady Gaga crossing herself with Father, Son and House of Gucci on a loop mm-hmm. in my head, which will just keep me going until the film's actually out. And yeah, we'll uh, look forward to seeing Adam Driver, who's really just sweeping through everything at the moment, isn't he? And I don't know how much of this mm. is sort of delayed release, because obviously actors will do a film job and then what happens with the release is not up to them. Unless you know, maybe they're exec producing, but I just feel like, oh, it's his, it's his ascendant, and I feel like he's just going to absolutely sweep the board with with something, and 
because it's just like, oh God, no, Annette, and he's in the last duel as well, isn't he? Yes, he plays the man uh, accused of assaulting uh, Jodie Comer's character in that one, yeah. He certainly looks more the part, like if you put took a picture. picture of him and said, this man was a kind of a French nobleman, you would say, oh yeah, totally, not the dude who looks like uh, he played at Woodstock 99. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in baggy jeans. <laughs> yeah, so... I mean, I'm not, I'm not complaining, but I just hope that we're not on the verge of a backlash because mm-hmm. I feel like he is a very talented actor who's already just like rinsed through some of the biggest directors who are still still living. Could could do with maybe working with a few more women directors, Adam. But you know, oh no, the backlash is beginning. It's in me, Ed. It's been <laughs> in me the whole time. Yeah, I, I wonder how much, obviously the pandemic is part of it, but I also wonder how much of it is like him just finally being free of Star Wars. Oh, that's like, an excellent point, yeah. Suddenly having the time to go and do other things, because even though, you know, like you only shoot one of those movies every two years on the pace they were on, like the promotion of those movies must have been such a drain on on his time and resources and having to try and fit in like a Noah Baumbach movie in between each one, like that's going to take up a lot of your time. And now that he doesn't have that, and I think you see this as well, like a little bit with, uh, you know, Oscar Isaac doing the, the Paul Schrader movie that he's made and that um, new version of Scenes from a Marriage for HBO that I believe he's in as well. well. Yes. Like, th- those guys, you can definitely see, like they seem, you know, my interpretation is they're taking all this pent-up energy they've had from having to film and promote Star Wars and also just like ancillary stuff like doing voices for video games and things like that and being done with all of that sort of stuff and just being able to go and make movies again and also having the the cachet that comes from being in those massive successful movies to go and uh, you know get stuff made in some cases like I really feel I mean Leos Carrick would probably be able to get movies made anyway but having someone like Adam Driver in Annette probably like gets it a lot more attention and like makes it a, a more high, high profile because you know he was the most compelling part of you know that series of hugely successful movies doesn't hurt uh, and yeah and as you also mentioned uh, he's a he's everyone's favorite centaur because of the burberry ad that he's in which uh, i just watched prior <laughs> to uh, uh, the start of recording having having missed it previously and uh, yeah, you and I were, were talking about it, and it really does feel like a, a gift to the horse girls of the internet. So I'll go on to the the next story this week. Certainly, the one of the biggest on my Twitter feed, in that it was at the top of my trending topics for sort of like two or three days, was uh, the story about um, Bob Odenkirk, who on Tuesday was reported to have collapsed on the set of Better Call Saul, the the TV show, obviously that he's a. Uh, a star of and which is filming its last season uh, and then there was just lots of frenzied worry from everyone I follow pretty much of everyone just wondering is he okay what happened when is there going to be news and so there was a kind of like a hectic sort of like 24 hours or so until uh, Odenkirk's son Nate tweeted saying that he was going to be okay and then and Bob Odenkirk himself uh, announced that you know he had had a, a mild heart attack and that he had been treated for it and is you know hopefully on the road to recovery. And uh, obviously, I and I'm sure you do as well. I really wish him all the best in the world. Uh, hopefully, he has a, 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 a quick and pain, a relatively 
painless uh, recovery back to health. But what I thought would be good to do here, because, you know, he, he had that near miss, and I think all of us who love Bob Odenkirk's work and all of the great stuff that he has put out into the world over the years should maybe take a moment to just appreciate Bob Odenkirk, because, you know, the thing you say about someone when they pass away is always kind of like, man, you know, you should have said more nice things about them whilst they were alive and appreciated them while you still have them. And, you know, we all, you know, nearly didn't have Bob Odenkirk anymore. So it kind of feels like now's a nice time to just say, hey, Bob Odenkirk, real great fucking guy. <laughs> just, uh, you, you know, know one, one, of... Of the, one of the best to ever do it. A guy who's had like such a strange path through the entertainment industry to the point where, you know, earlier this year he was starring in an action movie, which is not something that you would have envisioned based on the previous, you know, 50 years of his, 57 years of his life. But, you know, just like an amazing comic mind, uh, a really fantastic actor, by all accounts, uh, a wonderful, like, person to work with and a great mentor to so many people in American comedy over the last 30-something years. Uh, yeah, just such uh, an icon, I think, and a genuinely inspiring figure for anyone who loves comedy that is kind of interesting and smart but also just like crass and profoundly stupid which just features all of your essential comedy nutrients right there he's Mm. he's the whole recommended daily allowance oh when that news came through i was surprised at how taken aback i was but then i thought Mm. well of course how else would i feel and I, I, I'm not a religious person in the slightest said, but I did say a prayer and I feel like many other people were doing the same and in the bizarre way that we can on Twitter, someone had an emoji candle circle of protection around his name and it was just like, oh God. And But he was all right and he pulled through after that absolutely nerve-wracking time of absolutely no news, which of course is correct because as much as we love mm. him we are not his family and it is only a family matter and for his close friends but to have him actually tweet himself and then you know the last time i looked at it that tweet was liked nearly um half a million times or something like that and it just goes to show that he is someone who has kind of kept evolving because it's not just like oh he was some comedian back in the day it's like no he's always been really he 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 adventures and endeavors and i think looking at when nobody that trailer dropped and it was like how is that bob odenkirk of course it's bob odenkirk because he is the sort of internet father of reinvention and that he can just do whatever he puts his mind to I think there were two things that really struck me about him sort of outside of his work, so to speak. But the behind the scenes on With Bob and David, which was one of the first Netflix originals I remember coming out and being like, oh my God, they're basically doing this to show again. But with a different, you know, with a bit of a twist. And, you know, it was hit and miss and I don't think it's as good as Mr. Show, but it was just incredible to have the little mini documentary that, you know, you'd normally get on a DVD of how they made it and he is just like a comic general (laughs) like he Mm. brings everyone around and he just has this 
laser precision focus and he does not fuck about when it comes to fucking about like he really puts the work in and there was something amazing to see about him in that and then he's also just such a remarkably placid guy IRL there's an interview he did with oh what's his name the off-camera guy well his off-camera interview really struck me because he just seemed completely lacking an ego and so very quietly and classily said that he was probably going to take some time off because he wanted to be with his kids because one of his kids had been going through a hard time and I thought god that's just exactly the note you want to strike as a parent in the public eye just be like I'm not going to tell you any detail but we can be honest about the fact that things happen to people <laughs> and I just thought oh what a what a classy gent what a mensch right but I do I mean I don't know how help whether this is speculation but I do sort of want to say it I, I do worry that this is an example of the wider narrative of people who are cast in roles that are more sort of like action roles or mm. they have to change their body in a specific way that that can bring on underlying heart conditions and particularly yeah. in terms of that we're still it's still really early days in terms of understanding long covid but that can be cardiac stuff and i just feel like we need to really look at what we sort of ask actors to do because there's still this faulty idea that like, oh, but if you're training in the gym every day, that must mean you're healthy. And it's like, mm, not necessarily. And, you know, some people are saying particularly Marvel's practices have, you know, heavy and secret suppressed steroid use. So essentially, you know, they're doping these people. Um, mm. And I just think about Carrie Fisher and a lot of people saying, or not even that many people, but some people saying like, well, she had a heart attack after sort of you know she joked about it in the press junkets for star wars but she was told to like train and and lose weight just so she could be slightly smaller <laughs> to play Leia. and you're like it's, it's carrie motherfucking fisher she can look however she wants i think you'll find but i don't know i just wonder at this time particularly if I, i'm guessing you know new mexico is pretty warm this time of year um during heat waves and all of this so that's me just sort of like wringing my hands and being like I think we need to look after each other a bit more and I'm a bit worried about what we're pushing people to do as you know as and I've not seen nobody and I would like to but I, I don't know I just I, I just want I just want Bob to to take care of himself because we all really care about him mm, that was one of the first thoughts I had as well because I remember this back in February, I think, or, or March, I, there was a video that, you know, like a promoted video that showed up on my feed from Esquire or, or GQ or, or some men's monthly. And it was Bob Odenkirk kind of like with his personal trainer showing off the routine that he had done to get into shape for nobody. And, you know, I work out fairly often and I run, you know, sort of like three or four miles, you know, a couple of times a week. So I'm in, in like pretty, pretty good health, but I was looking at that thinking like, this seems like a lot of work to be doing <laughs> when you're in your 50s and you maybe haven't got a lifetime of, of working out behind you. I don't, you know, I don't want to 
speculate. Obviously, he's always been like relatively trim, but like he doesn't strike me as someone who was like doing sort of two hours of, of working out every day prior to his work on Nobody, and wondering if like maybe that could have taken taken a toll. And yeah, it definitely feels like there's gonna come a point with the way that Hollywood has been going with its kind of like the way it's forcing you know someone like Kamal Nanjiani to become like ridiculously jacked for a role that there's going to be some sort of breaking point you know like you don't have to look far in like the annals of say professional wrestling to see that the impact of you know sort of like forcing people to undertake like tremendous physical strain for years on end and doping them ends up having kind of like really terrible results on people's health both mental mental and physical so yeah uh i'd just like to uh echo that uh, people probably should be taking care of each other more and uh maybe allow people to look like humans in movies again uh as opposed to action figures but to get back to like odenkirk's work what to you are kind of like the things that when you first think of bob odenkirk that you really kind of like stand out to you as kind of like the real highlights um for me the thing i always think of um particularly from mr show and it's not even a sketch really from mr show it's from one of the intros to mr show there's one episode where in the intro bob uh can't do the intro so they get an understudy to come in played by tom kenny and he goes out grocery shopping and then while he's grocery shopping, the replacement like takes over the show and is doing all this like really hacky sub Robin Williams patter. And Bob Odenkirk kind of like sees that going on when he's in the shop and he just screams, what the fuck? And it's the most beautiful way those three words have ever been screamed that I have ever heard. It's so funny, the the intonation that he puts on it, the volume, and then he like runs out and then he cuts to shots of him like running through the streets of Los Angeles with a full shopping trolley to try and get back to the studio to stop the intro. And that to me is like one of the things that just like, there's just like a, the, the ineffable thing about Bob Odenkirk, aside from you know, him as an actor and a, aside from him as like a writer and everything else that he does, like he is just someone who can just like deliver lines that in other people's hands would just be so prosaic but for him he something about him and the way he says them just causes them to lodge in the back of your mind for decades absolutely it's hard to say anything other than mr show it doesn't mean that i don't mm. really appreciate all of his work even him popping up on things like how i met your mother um yeah and that it's always a delight to just see how there's something odd simmering under the surface like in um the diner sketch and i think you should leave season two. <laughs> um i mean there's a whole story there and your your eye just is drawn to him so no wonder of all of the people that had a spin-off series in breaking bad of course it was going to be Saul. you know he's mm. just incredibly rich and strange and manages to be I don't know, because, again, Mr. Show is surreal, mm. but it's not necessarily just a sort of straight Monty Python do-over because it's so very much Bob and David's sense of humour. It is so gorgeous to watch in context because I think the way they make the entire show a gag, there's, like, gags on top of gags and callbacks mm. and this kind of meta... Mm-hmm 
darkness to it that is really silly. You know, you kind of, I think the best comedy is really clever while seeming really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and that's definitely Mr. Show. And I feel like it was kind of a precursor to things like Tim and Eric, Awesome Show, Great Job, but a lot of the mm-hmm. kind of really sort of, <laughs> for lack of a better term, batshit memes of now I feel have their roots in Mr. Show because I remember first kind of watching it in my late teens and I think that was when the internet was starting to really kind of pick up so it was like on YouTube or various streaming sites because I don't think it ever actually got screened here um, cable or otherwise but it was just like oh my god what is this how are they managing to do this thing that is so ridiculous um, but I think, I think if I, if, if I had to pick one, it's got to be horny slut hotline peppermint speaking <laughs> because that couple of minutes of phone sex is worth so many more, so many more dollars than what they were, uh, <laughs> what they were selling up for. Ah, uh, peppermint, get well soon, Bob. We love you. Mm, yeah. Um, and just kind of like a side recommendation, I guess, here, before we get to recommends at the end. But um, on Tim Heidecker's podcast, Office Hours, this week, uh, he talked about uh, Bob Odenkirk a little bit at the top of the show, because obviously Bob Odenkirk discovered him and Eric and yeah, produced um, Tom Goes to the Mayor and has kind of been a big booster of his work, like going back to you know nearly 20 years at this point. And it was it was just really nice seeing someone who, you know, Tim has a certain ironic <laughs> quality to him, I think it was fair to say. Um, be very genuine in, in kind of like talking about how happy he was that, that Bob seemed to be doing okay. And um, yeah, just kind of like talking a little bit about working with him. And yeah, it was just it was just very, very sweet. So uh, I'd recommend people check that out uh, on YouTube. And then the rest of the show has uh, Tim having a really long phone conversation with Randy Newman, which is fantastic as well. So just watch the whole show. Kurt Vile's there, just like hanging out. It's great. So we'll go on to the final story for this week, and this is the one that I was alluding to earlier that could have seismic impacts. Not that Bob Odenkirk hasn't had a seismic impact on American comedy, mm-hmm. but um, this one uh, really feels like it could, you know, kind of reverberate out quite significantly. Um, it's the story that uh, Scarlett Johansson uh, is suing Disney over the release of Black Widow. Black Widow, of course, the Marvel movie that she... Uh, is currently starring in uh, taking her character of Natasha Romanoff and giving it a, her a star vehicle. The last movie that I think she's under contract with to do with Disney because, uh, spoilers, the character died in Avengers Endgame. And so this was kind of like a prequel um, introducing her kind of like quote-unquote family uh, and also seeming to serve as, as setting up Florence Pugh as a uh, future uh, Marvel kind of like player. And the movie opened in theatres and on Disney Plus uh, on the same day, uh, about four weeks ago at this point. And the lawsuit is essentially arguing that because the movie went up on streaming at the same time that it was in theatres, a lot of people saw it on on streaming and didn't go and pay to see it in theatres. Therefore, the movie's theatrical take was lower than it would have been otherwise. And because Scarlett Johansson's pay uh, for the movie, aside from you know what she was paid for up front, is based on it selling a certain number of tickets and it hitting 
certain milestones, uh, Disney essentially rigged it so that she would be defrauded from a lot of money. And this has also led to some speculation that other actors may take Disney to court on on a similar basis, such as Emma Stone for uh, her work on Cruella, which had the same treatment, and maybe Emily Blunt because of um, Jungle Cruise, which just came out this weekend and it's a very disappointing box office. Um, although that that those last two that came from the Daily Mail, so you know, mm. treat, treat it with. with with a certain degree of skepticism. But it feels to me like a very interesting case because obviously there's mitigating factors, the pandemic, you know. But we we are in this point where movies are starting to open up again. And the movies that have opened up and the ones that have played in theatres have tended to do a little bit better and hold better than the ones that are on day and date. And I think this maybe points to the way in which particularly Disney and Warner Brothers who have been doing a lot of this day and date stuff and, you know, have been taking movies that were intended to be just in theatrical and then saying, oh, also it's on our streaming service, so you should go and pay for that in order to watch it. They have been very kind of opaque about how those movies are doing, and also it kind of feels like maybe the law hasn't quite caught up to what to do in those situations in terms of people's contracts and making sure that artists are fairly compensated for the work they did on these movies that were meant to be seen one way and now being seen another. And, you know, depending on where this lawsuit goes as it winds its way through the courts over the next months and potentially years uh it feels like something that could have like a pretty profound effect on what happens next in the streaming wars because it kind of seems to me that companies like disney and warner brothers and all these other big studios that are trying to move into streaming they're doing it because they can kind of have a monopoly on it and they can kind of like set extremely favorable terms for themselves and that something like this may kind of derail that to the benefits of artists potentially and you know who who knows like how the corporate i'm sure disney will kind of like figure some way to wriggle out of it but it certainly feels like uh potentially quite a momentous series of of events like you know like we may look back on this in years to come as either something that fizzled out and didn't lead to anything or as something that like maybe had like a pretty significant effect on the direction of the industry oh i mean thank you for that primer ed because i think you set it out really nicely there i i don't know where i where i fall with this right and <clears throat> funny enough mentioning uh, carrie fisher earlier um her ex-partner and father of their child billy lord brian lord is scarlett johansson's agent and he's been with Creative Artists Agency, a.k.a. CAA, for, I mean, years and years and years. And the interesting thing is, is that this whole moment took me right back to 2007 and the WGA strike, which was mainly over the sort of beginning of digital and DVD rights, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, And that Brian Lord was basically the mediator um, between WGA in the West and um, Bob Iger, um, CEO of Walt Disney. Um, so it's interesting that it's like, aha, Brian's back <laughs> to um, just sort of fight a similar battle, or at least he is 
very much an established part of Hollywood. And I mean, God, 2007 feels like another world, doesn't it, Ed? But I feel like this is absolutely the next step in, you know, what could set a precedent legally. Mm. And I mean, the thing is, is that I am not a fan of Scarlett Johansson Mm. for other uh, things she has said and done. But I'm very much in favour of workers' rights. It's just very weird when those workers are like multi-millionaires. And I'm like, oh, boo-hoo, are you not going to get another 30 million? Because you've already made however many million. And it's just a bit like, I'm not saying that Disney are good. That's not what I'm saying at all. But it's just odd because I, I feel like I don't I don't know who this is going to help in the long run. Mm. Um, because, oh God, I mean, it's not like Disney are paying their employees probably what they're worth either. But is that just more money that's just going to sit in Scarlett Johansson's bank account? But again, is it is it with always these things? The principle of the thing, because I remember when Taylor Swift took the man who assaulted her to court and she was suing him for a dollar because she was like, this isn't about money and I don't want to financially destitute him. The important thing here is that I know who's looking up to me and I Mm. I want to do this for myself and for my audience, my demographic, my Swifties. Whereas this, it's just like, if it were any other actor who I didn't know more about, I'd probably be able to sort of feel with a bit more clarity because it's Scarlett Johansson (laughs) who is not known for her tact sensitivity despite being you know I I, I like some of her performances I would like to see the man who wasn't there again at some point in my life if that can finally get sorted out please but it is just when it gets to this sort of silly money and it's like oh you're all awful oh I'll go home (laughs) hmm yeah, for me, it is definitely, like, the principle as well. Like, I don't, I don't feel like you. I, I like a bunch of her performances. And, you know, she was the, the star of my favourite film of the last decade, um, or the previous decade, uh, Under the Skin. I'm with um, you on that one. She is, like, not someone who generally I kind of feel a great kind of, like, desire to stan, you know, as, as the yeah. kids say. Maybe the kids don't even say it anymore, but <laughs> as people who think that's what kids say, say. But... When I look at this, I think, well, if they're willing to allegedly defraud one of their biggest stars, one of the most famous actresses in the world, and someone who has been like a very dutiful uh, party party person, you know, essentially just like following the Disney line for the past uh, 10, 11 years since she appeared in, in Iron Man 2, like imagine how much they're screwing over like writers and directors and yeah. you know the the, the 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 below the line people or actors who aren't maybe as big as stars like that's the thing for me so i think if this could kind of like break open that and the you know the people who worked on like luca and soul which were like two pixar movies that were meant to get theatrical releases and end up only going on to disney plus like if the people who worked on that who i'm sure you know were like worked very hard on that sort of stuff and probably aren't you know if it's anything like you know most kind of like animation studios like are probably not super duper well paid although well paid enough to live in the bay area so who knows 
uh, like if they kind of get a piece of, of money that maybe is due them because those movies have been viewed like tens of millions of times but don't have any um, externally verified data saying hey this is how much money this movie made um, then you know that's to the benefit and, and I think you know in terms of just setting a future um, standard for saying like if a movie goes to a streaming service you get x amount of money for x number of streams which uh you know seems like something that isn't in place now because we're in an unprecedented time as everyone knows and you know we've not been in the situation where movies have just been put out kind of like haphazardly both in theaters and uh on streaming services in the way that has happened with these movies and where Disney and Warner Brothers have both kind of done this fairly cavalierly, it seems. Um, there were some stories, I remember, from last year when Warner Brothers announced that their entire 2021 slate was going to be going straight to the stream. There were numerous reports of various uh, talent uh, associated with Warner Brothers being very, very unhappy about that. Most famously like was was Christopher Nolan, who uh, whose movies were unaffected by this because Tenant only went to theatres, but who, you know, had a long-standing relationship with Warner Brothers and kind of felt like they were treating the other directors and their films very shoddily. Um, Denis Villeneuve was apparently really angry that this decision had been made with regard to Dune because they hadn't told him about it beforehand and there'd been no kind of like discussion and they had to pay, I think they had to pay Patty Jenkins like a considerable amount of money for her to come back to do the third Wonder Woman movie because she lost out on a lot of money from that going straight to streaming so, so yeah. i think uh, a large part of what i find very interesting in here is that it does feel like consequences for doing this for, for kind of embarking on this disruptor approach to the way in which movies put out of someone being like hey you can't just kind of like do this willy-nilly and not taking people's like prior agreements into consideration because i think the the big sticking point as well in this lawsuit is that apparently um the discussion between scarlett johansson's people and disney kind of centered on the idea that oh black widow will go into theaters for a while before people can rent it at home like it will be available it will have a theatrical window and then it will be available for people on disney plus and that at some point that discussion appears to have broken down or there that she was not kind of like fairly compensated for the sudden change and from a like a legal contract point of view like that sort of stuff i find quite interesting in sort of like how maybe that gets kind of rewritten going forward because so much of like the way that hollywood uh, operates uh, over the past century has largely been dictated by someone suing someone else <laughs> like particularly in terms of like child labor laws and things like that yeah. so uh I, I, it, I do find it interesting wondering if this will be like another chapter in that and that maybe the kind of like free-for-all landscape of, of streaming that has kind of like really grown up in the last 10 10 years or so like since Oh, maybe even not even 10 years, like whenever Netflix really started get going on their originals, which were probably only like seven or eight years ago. Uh, if maybe this will be the case of someone finally coming in and trying to civilize it and say, hey, you can't just kind of like keep throwing money around or allowing all this money to accrue with just the studios. Because I think from what I've heard of like writers on podcasts talking about this stuff um, over the years, like 
there's like a deluge of content being made now so like there's more jobs available for writers than there have ever been but it's actually way worse and more precarious financially because a lot of those jobs don't really pay particularly well and they don't do particularly well in terms of you know actual royalties so like that as well seems like maybe a case where this lawsuit could maybe have like a fairly beneficial impact for all these people who are being kind of like churned through the streaming economy with relatively little to show for it well i hope i hope that if it does go that way that it ends up applying to all employees of disney not just certain names but i'm i'm open to it ed here's here's hoping so we'll go on to the final segment of the show, which is Shot Reverse Shot Recommends, which we talk about a piece of culture that we've enjoyed and we think you, the listeners, will enjoy as well. Emily, what have you got to recommend for the listeners this week? Well, I have discovered a YouTuber that I really like, and their name is Jose, and they have a little kingfisher in their avatar, which is quite cute. Um, but they are doing like the most wonderful retrospectives of mainly American sitcoms and as someone who has grown up on American animation which frequently references sitcoms like Roseanne, The Cosby Show and Married with Children but none of these things I've really seen other than Malcolm in the Middle really Mm -hmm. Um, something that Jose um, talks about beautifully in that retrospective And they're such incredible primers and really put the essay in video essay, but are still really entertaining and slightly dry and just goes to show that like YouTube is so incredible at secondary reading, basically, like being a secondary source. Um, Because I feel sort of clued up on the context, not only of the show itself, but for the examples of Roseanne and The Cosby Show, obviously led by people who are understatement problematic. (laughs) <laughs> and that, that features in the kind of retrospective as well, like how do we talk about these things? And I just think it's really neat film criticism, film and TV criticism, um, that reveals an awful lot about the kind of shifting tides, but also the the immense influence, like particularly in the 80s, um, that the sitcom had. So I feel really brushed up <laughs> so that's um jose's youtube channel cool i will also recommend something on youtube uh maggie mayfish who does lots of really fun interesting film analysis uh, videos on youtube recently put up a really good one on wes anderson and particularly on the royal tenenbaums which i think is probably still my favorite of of his movies and uh that went up this week it's very kind of like funny and interesting but also like very earnest in its assessment of the emotional quality of Wes Anderson's work which I think is particularly interesting in terms of in context of like you know whatever it was like two weeks ago where there was that tweet from Casper Solomon talking about the the about not liking Wes Anderson's movies and finding like really cold Mm -hmm. and and everyone um getting up in arms about that because uh I think a lot of people do find a lot of, of kind of like rich emotional, kind of like melancholic value uh, in in Wes Anderson's work, and and so I think the video does like a really good job of uh, addressing that, and and in particular talking about the, the ways in which Anderson's style kind of accentuates his themes and 
and things like that and playing it in context of his broader work and you know there's lots of videos out there about wes anderson and you know i i think this and i've watched a lot of them because i'm you know very cliched uh, wes anderson fan but I, I thought this one was was like a real real good one so that's uh, maggie may fish's video on on wes anderson's work and it also features an appearance by uh, uh what's his name uh Jared Gilman, who is one of the kids in Moonrise Kingdom, who's also a very fun follow on on Twitter these days. Um, yeah, so so check it out. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, then please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, PlayFam, Spotify, all the usual places, raters, reviewers, and recommend us to your friends. It's the best way to help us grow. And you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we are at SRS underscore podcast. We're back next time with something entirely different. But until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.